0: Welcome to Core the podcast of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I'm your host, Brandon Parrish. Today I have with me Michael Ware of the Tulsa District Regulatory Office. Michael, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. So, uh, Michael, uh, you've been in regulatory since the 90s, I guess, about the mid 90s. And um, what is it that regulatory does?
1: Well, i tell you, I started in uh, April of 95, been programmed a long time. The regulatory office is responsible for two federal laws. Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act of 1899, which deals with anything that could affect navigation, basically anything, any activity adjacent under, over uh, a navigable waterway requires authorization from the Corps.
0: So what's a navigable waterway? How do you, how do you determine um, what that is?
1: Well, a navigable waterway was uh, pretty much established uh, by Congress and it is a waterway that was historically used or currently being used to transfer goods and services uh, down um,
0: waterways. So like uh, barge operations, like the Carns is a navigable waterway. That is correct. But um, and I guess even to some degree before the MCARNs came into existence, there was some navigation activity on, I know on the, uh, Tex, on, on, uh, the Red River, at yes. least at some point in history, um, yes. before, before Lake Texoma was constructed or Denison Dam was constructed. That's um, correct.
1: And so a lot of people had, uh, basically homemade barges made out of logs they basically put their goods and services on those logs. Transf- uh, uh, they took them from point A to point B downriver to uh, move those goods and services. So that's how we we come with the the, the navigable waters term.
0: And so, uh, you 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 guys regulate that, and and how how does regulatory regulate? navigable waterways like what are the some what are some of the things that you you guys do with with regard to that
1: well in um and in, in the port of Catusa, you use an, as an example you know we uh, any any type of uh, mooring um, facilities or if it's a channel that needs to be deepened through excavation to to establish the uh, normal uh, elevation that's needed for barges to go up and down a river, utility lines that go under basically uh, to ensure that you know if they go under that they are placed deep enough under the river that future dredging uh, will not impact those type of systems uh, in the future. Also, we regulate those activities that go over the uh, navigation water, say, navigational waterway and uh, for the same purposes. And then anything that's adjacent to a navigable waterway, we wanna make sure that it's put in in such a way that it does not impact navigation traffic upstream or downstream uh, of the waterway.
0: So, uh, can you give me an example? What do you mean by like adjacent? Can you say like next to the shore or?
1: Well, let's say like a a new boat ramp a new boat ramp comes in, uh, we want to make sure that that boat ramp isn't putting in so much traffic that it, it impedes navigation because the primary concern for uh, the core in, in this particular case is going to make sure that we have our barges that will be able to go up and downstream. And um, not to get in the weeds here, but it's really just to ensure that whatever those projects whatever they're proposing, will have a minimal effect on navigation.
0: You, uh, we often hear, uh, in talking to regulatory, you often hear about fill. So who is Phil, and why do people want to put him in the river?
1: Well, Phil is our second authority. Uh, the placement of dredge or fill material <laughs> is regulated under Section 404 of the Clean Water Act. So when place, people place dredge or fill material in the waters of the U.S., that they have to come to the core in order to get a permit, so you may say, "Wow, why, wow, why wow are, why is the Corps doing dredge and fill?" Right. Well, wow. because of navigation. So Congress looked out and said, "Who's out there already has a good relationship with the public? Who's working with it?" The Corps was doing such an excellent job with the navigation program, so Congress gave it to the Corps to allow us to uh, run this particular program, and that's why you have the Army of Engineers in people's backyards all the way up to grandma's house when it comes to regulating stream channels and place and placement of field in
0: wetlands. Yeah I guess over time the regulations came through and 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 that congressional authority was was um was what was used to to protect those 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 waterways for for navigation um, and, and I guess even those tributaries, they impact navigation ultimately, right?
1: Right, right. And you know you, when you say tributaries impacting navigation, you remind me of a childhood story. Uh, me and my cousins we, we would race uh, blades of grass and we would race those in a town called Meridian, Oklahoma. Um, and we would race those blades of grass down the, the ditch into the uh, creek channel all the way down to bear creek who we couldn't see them anymore and man we just loved doing that playing in, in the uh uh in the water we, we loved to be outside and as a kid I, I would have never imagined that you know where i was playing in this in this uh ditch in meridian that it flowed down into Bear Creek, Bear Creek down into the Deep Fork, Deep Fork into the Canadian, Canadian down to the Arkansas River, Arkansas River down to the Mississippi and down to the Gulf. I would have never believed that uh, when I was a kid, I just assumed water went somewhere. I just didn't know where, but it really wasn't until I became an adult where I realized that that water that I was playing with actually helps out with navigation in Oklahoma
0: it really is like a web isn't it like uh you know that old saying about there's every you know what you do is a there everything's a, a, a strand on a web and what you do to one web sort of Im- can impact the rest of the web you know
1: yes yeah, all interconnected
0: yeah what a so one of the other things you all uh, regulate and regulatory is is wetlands yes so how do you define a wetland so wetland has to have three criteria
1: in order for it to be a jurisdictional wetland. So a wetland has to have hydrophytic fans, plants, has to have a source of hydrology, and it has to have hydraulic soils. And basically, in absence of any one of those three factors, then it's not considered
0: a wetland. And what is a hydrophytic plant?
1: So a hydrophytic plant is a plant that's been adapted to being inundated by water. And I tell you, uh, like lilies. Yeah. lilies. So they can, you know, by definition, you know, a wetland, most cases only has to be have to have those conditions 5% of the growing season in order for those wetland characteristics to take place. As we know, 5% is not that much. Uh, other, and when we talking about the growing season, so it doesn't take long for an area to be inundated before it starts displaying those wetland characteristics
0: and um if so if someone if someone has an area in their backyard that that stays wet like that and they're concerned it might be a wetland how do they make it get a determination made
1: well they just contact us and this is a good plug to say regulatory office number is 918-669-7400 contact us we'll assign a regulator to you and we will uh, get you a jurisdictional determination in a timely manner
0: and, and what are the implications of, of a wetland being in your on your property How do you have to how do you have to deal with that? Then? well
1: if, if, if it's indeed what well, we would consider a jurisdictional wetland uh, before a person can place fill in that wetland they really need to talk to us first and to ensure that one, is it is jurisdictional, and two, dis, to determine if a uh, co-authorization is required.
0: So, um, what are some of the experiences that you've had to deal with with waters of the United States? That's kind of the term that you use nowadays for, for that's kind of what navigable waterways has sort of morphed into, right? It's waters of the United States. Yes, uh, it's, it's just a, a
1: term that we use to just, it's an easier term because when you think about navigable waterways, people think navigation. Well, there is no navigation in my backyard, so why is the core regulating navigation? But it, with the term waters of the United States, it's an easier term that people can look at and understand that, yeah, that's a stream crossing. We might want to contact the core before we fill it in, relocate it. Um, you know, in some cases put a pipe across it, uh, It they may want it, to, it's just an easier term for a person to identify what the core has jurisdiction over.
0: How do you differentiate between stormwater runoff, which is that still, that's still a, a municipal thing, right? Stormwater yes. runoff versus waters of the United States.
1: Well, Stormwater runoff is regulated under a different Clean Water Act, and, and for the state of Oklahoma, that's managed through the Oklahoma Department of Environmental Quality, and ODQ is responsible to ensure that uh, runoff off of properties uh, fall within their regulatory authorities. So we don't we don't regulate runoff, but we do regulate the placement of field okay, or dress the placement of dress or field material.
0: Right, what, um, so what are some of the experiences that you've had dealing with waters of the United States? Well, you know, we have
1: a vast number of nationwide permit authorities, and basically the nationwide permit is just a, 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 a authorization that we generally use for minimal type activities. And that could be like your local bridges, bank stabilization, it could be utility line crossings, water line crossings, general and routine maintenance. There's a whole host of nationwide permits authorities that we have. So that it's it's that's not a very easy question because it's it's too broad, but to make it to, to make it more specific, if a person wanted to do bank stabilization in their backyard or along a river, if it's um, if it's below a certain line of footage, then we could author, offer them a, na- a nationwide permit, and expedite their uh, authorization.
0: What are some of the other types of permits that you all? What what is a nationwide permit? Why is something a nationwide so, permit?
1: So a nationwide permit is uh, basically authorized by a headquarters office, and it's free to use nationwide. Um, and so, and those generally are um, authorized every f- five years. Um, then we have our general permits, or, or which are basically our uh, our regional type permits. They are they they central to the district. It may be an activity um, that we have decided that. Every time we do this individual permit, it's it, it results in the same um, you no, know, findings of no significant impact. So we create a general permit to mimic what would be an individual permit level project that remains. That always has the the ability to be a, a minimal impact, and we create a general permit for it. And so we have a general permit where in Oklahoma, where DQ has basically said. We're not going to allow any um, road crossings in high-quality waters. Well, we we created a general permit to allow them to do that work and then get their site-specific water quality certification from the uh, ODEQ. So it's just a, a, a shorter expedited uh, uh, permit a permit that allows us to... Get to the authorization sooner. Then after that, we have our uh, letter of permissions, which is uh, again, that that is a, a, a expedited review period. We don't do a lot of those in, in Tulsa District, but then we also have our standard permits, which we try to do those within 120 days. However, you know, because of certain issues, water quality certs, Section 106 of uh, the, uh, the Historical Preservation Act and uh, the endangered species concerns may push that over that 120-day uh, level, or it could be just the applicant uh, doesn't, does not respond to us in a timely manner. It's a whole lot of reasons why those go over 120 days, but those are just some of the
0: a few of them. Uh, one of the important aspects of, of a permitting period is often the public comment period. And it's often overlooked. I think people, maybe they get a, a, a request for stakeholder input. And I guess stakeholder is anybody who's technically impacted potentially, who has a stake in it. Um, and that technically is the public in general. I mean, but um, often people may not respond to a public comment period. Why is it so important for people to, if they receive a letter, especially, um, for maybe a project going near their neighborhood or through their neighborhood, why is it so important for them to take take that into consideration and, and respond?
1: Right, a great question. Um, and we're, we're talking about standard or individual permit type activities, which is our um, uh, one of our uh, most lengthy permit activities. So when we have a, a project that requires individual permit level activities we would do a public notice and we would we will send this notice out for public comment to everybody that's within 300 feet of a particular project boundary. It is so important that the public reads that public notice and provide comments because that comment period is their only window to have a voice on what happens on that particular project or to address their concerns or issues they may even say we don't want this in our backyard but it gives the applicant the opportunity to rebut their concerns and address their issues if needed so and so if they don't respond then they don't they don't have a there's no other mechanism for us to uh, hear their concerns because they only get that that 30-day comment period, and that's that's good for the resource agencies, uh, the sh- uh, SHPOs, um, and other uh, state agencies that
0: may uh, want to comment on the project. The SHPO is that the state historic preservation office. That is correct. Okay, so they deal with, you know, uh, things that that may be important to the history of a state or or an area. Right, and in,
1: in Oklahoma, the ship boat was broken into two offices. The Oklahoma uh, Archaeological Survey, which they deal with items or artifacts, you know, buried in the subsoils, uh, historic items, uh, clay pottery, mm-hmm. you know, clay shards, uh, you know, arrowheads, things like that that may be at subsurface. And then we have the Oklahoma Historical Society that deals with uh, structures that have been around for greater than 50 years. And that could be bridges, houses, barns, old wine cellars, uh, old bank uh, vaults. Uh, that could be a whole, a whole host of things uh, that uh, may make it on that, on that national register.
0: Yeah, there's there are some there are some interesting aspects to um, that comment period. Like I've received phone calls from people in the past who who've said, "Hey, um, I noticed when this project went through our area, um, I got a letter from the Corps, and I didn't think anything of it at the time. I thought, oh well, you know, it's just there. It's just something. And then now I'm seeing water in my property, in my backyard, or whatever, and I, I didn't I didn't notice that before." After the fact, there's not really a whole lot I guess we could do, right? They would have to they would have to exhaust some other avenue too.
1: Man, that's a great question. So uh, again, you, when it comes to the public comment period, that is their window to comment. If um, if they fail to comment, or if they choose not to, or they ignore the the public the public notice comment period, you know they have to take other at other actions now I don't I'm not going to go deep in the woods here right but and give advice but right. there are other actions if if a permittees project has impacted their personal property so they right. would have to look at those the core would not be that that door right. for them to comment uh, for them to uh, the door the core would not be the comment agency f- to address their concerns.
0: When when we were talking, to, sort of back to the fill material issue, um, I guess if you're building a bridge across uh, a river, like say the Arkansas River, right, every concrete um, column that supports that bridge, that that's fill, right? If yes. It's in the riverbed, right? That is correct. Is there a distance from the river, like if it if it's maybe on the shore or five feet from? Is there like a distance where? or it's no longer technically fill, or where it becomes fill, does it have to be within the bank? How does that work?
1: Well, that can work on smaller waterways, like a creek channel. Mm -hmm. They can span a bridge. They can put a span bridge across it, and basically all of that material is on top of the bank, Mm -hmm. and they now need a permit from the core under Section 404. Section 10 is different. But in most cases, we're uh, Section 10. We're dealing with a really large waterway. Right. You're not. You're not going to be spanning that with this, a single uh, bridge structure.
0: But you guys regulate. But you also regulate what goes over the the, the waterways as well, right? Under Section 10. Oh, okay. Not
1: not 404. We only regulates uh, the placement of fill under 404. So so let's go back to your example. So each one of those columns or it would be considered a fill. Mm-hmm. But we also going to consider. Any temporary impacts, say a uh, diversionary channel or a, a um, temporary work road that may go halfway across the river so they can build one set of the piers and then they'll pull that out and push it to the other side and um, build the other set of piers as they go across the river. Um, and so we're going to make sure that, that material that they place in there for a temporary field, they have to excavate it out. We're not going to allow them to just wait for the next flood of Keystone and wash all that sediment down downstream. downstream.
0: They got to pull that material out. Right. Okay. And and how do you how do you impact or how do you regulate our own dredging that we have to do after say a flood has dropped a lot of uh, natural <laughs> or silt in right. the water? But yeah, you know, we still have to enable navigation to correct.
1: So, on our Section 10 waterways, we, we still have to follow our procedures. Uh, there is there is nothing in regulations that says the Corps of Engineers itself is exempt from um, our program. So we will work hand in hand with our operations folks to ensure that any issues regarding navigation are addressed. Keep in mind that, you no, know, depending on how the work is done. a Clean Water Act permit under Section four hundred four could be required, or a Section ten permit under uh, Rivers and Harbors Act eighteen ninety nine will be required. So it could be and or or both, um, depending on how the work is done. Gotcha. So it's always imperative that they come to us early in the process, and that way it will we can make sure that everything that we're doing can. Most likely meet their timelines because they're again, you know, you got to think about the core. You know, they're they're trying to do things on time, within budget, and trying to do things safely. So when we're not we're not here to try to be their stumbling block. We're trying to be their their uh. We're trying to work our process through their timeline.
0: And, and for a, a permittee, why is it so important that they give you a product that's more specifications of what they're going to do than the sort of a marketing guide that, you know, looks pretty and, you know, is like a thousand pages of of fluff.
1: (laughs) Right. You know, we, we just need to get down to the nitty gritty. What do you want to place in that river waterway? So plans, elaborate plans where they are, they work very good and they cost the applicants a lot of money. We generally don't need those. Um, but we, we do need a good set of working grade plans that are legible, that will that shows the intent of what they want to do uh, before we can, you know, look at any authorizations. But you know, we don't necessarily have it. So if if I'm t- dealing with a farmer, man, it just makes me think about a farmer story from back in the day. You know, there's a farmer that, that you know wanted to do a project. I can't really remember what he wanted to do, but he, he's like Mike. I I got it in my head what I want to do. And he said, do you mind if I sketch it out on this napkin? I'm like, absolutely, sketch it out on a napkin. Well, and that napkin was his plans of what he wanted to do. So as long as he built his project, the way he had vision in his plan and how we uh, authorize it, there was no issue. And so, as I recall, that project went on without any hitch because we had a decent set of plans, we, he understood what he needed from us. We understood what we needed from him, and we were able to move forward with the project. Now, th- that's not going to work on a bridge crossing the Arkansas River. Right. You know, we're going to probably need a professional set of plans that are uh, that are st- stamped um, by a approved engineer. Now, let's just, let's just make sure we. I didn't... Not all plans need to be approved by a engineer. Okay. But
0: some some plans will need to be approved by engineer. And is that based on whether it's a 404 or a section 10 or a certain size or well
1: it's probably gonna be safe it's probably gonna be the size. It's gonna be a safety factor. You know, what's the potential of this structure or washing out? Could there be impact to someone downstream? Uh, we want to make sure that they're what they're putting in is going to be safe and it's going to be sound and it's going to stay in.
0: Now, if it's like a bridge, right, um, and it's something that the Oklahoma Department of Transportation is involved in, they're going to have to meet their engineering guidelines for bridges across waterways, I'm sure, in general. And then I'm sure we have some probably guidelines that they'd have to meet construction-wise or engineering-wise.
1: Well, ODOT uh is they they have a whole house of professional engineers and they that's what they do they build bridges so we're we're not going to really get in ODOT's way however we will uh look at their field quantities and make sure that um what they're doing is adequate to ensure that uh, whatever they're building in the river
0: is going to be safe and sound Right. so And a lot of
1: it's going to be a professional judgment.
0: Right. It's got to be safe, but then at the same time, they have to balance that with how much bridge do they actually need. Right. Based on what, traffic patterns and, and you know, like, it's great that they may want to have a, a, a one big it would it would be great that they might want to have one big giant concrete wall with a hole in the center <laughs> right but it's got to be it's got you' they've they've got to have those those piers and or something
1: right and you know i think and i i look at it from this standpoint if if there if there is an existing two lane roadway and they want to expand it to four, they shouldn't be giving us a bridge with sixteen lanes across it right right. So it needs to be commensurate to the type of activity that they're doing. Now, we're, we do understand that sometimes they want to build a bridge a little larger to ensure future growth in the area. We we can allow, we will allow for that with, with no issues. But it still needs to be a um, design that's pretty commensurate to the type of activity that they're wanting to build.
0: And um, when 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 people see a um, what what are the generally the most common complaints you get from people what what types of uh, complaints do you most often really receive?
1: The most complaints that I would tell you that we receive are really going to be neighborly complaints. A neighbor gets mad because they feel like the neighbor has blocked the water from them, and they won't us to do something about it, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, depending on what activity they've done, we may not have a, we may not have a, um, may not be able to help them because, you know, I give you an example, you know, I, I dealt with a person not too long ago whose major complaint was the farmer upstream, you know, put a dam across and now this person's not getting any water downstream. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a it's a uh, intermittent waterway and Congress did not intend for us to regulate some or all farm ponds. And so if this farm pond is constructed for the purposes of water and stock, it's exempt from our regulations. And so um, that applicant is technically going to have to wait for that pond to fill up and then the water will resume. Um, and so it's, it, it's uh, in contrast, if that person built it for recreational purposes, then they would need a, a permit from us and we would, that would be constitute a violation of the Clean Water Act under Section 301 and then we would pursue that. But in most cases, that's a valid complaint. That person has a valid complaint that they're not getting any water downstream, right? Right. Yeah. But when that
0: when that pond fills up, then that that water will resume. Is uh is the size of the stock pond or whatever commensurate? Does it have to be commensurate with the number of cattle or livestock they have? Or
1: yeah, great question. So if if a person has two heads of cow cows and they want to put in a fifty acre pond, we're going to question that, right? right. Yeah, we're going to question that. They're like, no. No, you you probably need you know probably less than a half acre. So yes, it is commensurate to the size of the operation. And so if they want to file for that exemption, so if it's a if it's they have two heads of cows and they want to do a hundred acre pond, they're going to they're going to, have to go through the permitting process.
0: What about diverting water from the the stream? Mm. Uh, where does that where does that get into? Well, in
1: almost every case. It's going to be a violation, okay. So, and, and we get a lot of those cases where par- a farmer says, Man, there's an oxbow there, and I, I want to farm that area, so I'm gonna create me a diversion dam and create a new channel. And I'm gonna make this uh, water flow in different directions so I can convert this stream channel into uplands. We generally go 100% restoration. And they have to put the channel back to where it was in its original extent.
0: Now, oxbow lakes are almost always temporary lakes, right? Because uh, essentially the the the, the water has has changed direction at some point. You you get this like trapped water area, right? That only gets refilled during like the sediment basically builds up around it, and eventually it evaporates and. Fills in, right? Right, or... but
1: that's still the jurisdictional waters of the U.S. And if a person wants to fill in an Oxbow, they have to come to us for authorization.
0: Okay, so you, you, best to let that do it naturally, right? Um,
1: <laughs> no, it because it it's all—it's always connected to the uh, tributary system, so it's going to always at some point have some water in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Whether it's seepage or when the creek channel or river comes up, overflows into it, you know, it's going to always have water in it. So. Um I can't think of many oxbows that are dry mm-hmm. over my career, but it or is it possible. Filled in. But it, but those would still be jurisdictional.
0: Okay. Uh Now, yeah, I, I remember we, we I got a call from a guy one time who they said they they wanted to go they they used this one area for gigging frogs, right? And the person didn't like the fact that they were you taking this boat down their, their property. Now, when they're in, as long as they're on the boat, right. If they're in this waterway that runs through their property, as long as they stay on the boat, are they still good? Or are they, are they trespassing once they step or are they trespassing going down this waterway?
1: Man, that's a great question. Uh, however, I would tell, I will have to, uh, defer to your local game warden for that. Because uh I don't know property rights, right, um you know, I know that in some areas, the property right may be the stream channel, hmm. but in other areas, you know, the state of Oklahoma owns all of the water. so mm-hmm. I'm not the best person to ask that question, yeah, but I do believe as long as you stay on the boat, you're okay, right, but you just can't go in someone on someone else's property, right. So that's the, permission.
0: The 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 river can can go down the stream and you can be on a boat on the river, but but now if someone comes and puts a bunch of gravel in there to stop anything from going through, is that acceptable or they have to get permission, right?
1: That's generally going to be a violation of the Clean Water Act and they they would need prior authorization from us,
0: which most likely we're not going to allow. Do you deal with a lot of st- stream bed stabilization or channel stabilization requests? Yes. And how, can you explain that? What that means, stream bed or channel or bank stabilization? Okay,
1: so that meant, that's a great question. So bank stabilization is just basically nothing more than taking an eroding bank, placing you no know, riprap or gabion baskets or some type of in-stream um, mechanisms like a J-hook or you know, something that, that will help move the water off of the bank to help stabilize it, to get the vegetation back. And so that's basically what bank stabilization is. It's just a, but there's a whole host of things that you can do to provide bank stabilization, but it just depends on what proposal that they want to do. And it's, it's really down to their affordability. riprap, riprap is really expensive. And unfortunately, as I make a segue, the Corps of Engineers regulatory program and the Corps of Engineers as a whole, we don't, we don't uh, pay for projects on individual private lands. Now we may cost share with a city or a local government or a state agency, but for private in- individuals, we don't help them in that, on those particular projects.
0: Right, the the uh, and riprap is really it has to meet certain requirements, right? It does, right? Yes. Like,
1: I mean, size because it you you don't want riprap, uh, you don't want the riprap so small that when the rain comes and the creek fills up that it just washes it downstream like gravel. So it has to be uh, a sizable size rock that's going to stay in place
0: in order for us to authorize it. And uh, for anybody who's wondering what a gabion basket is, those have been used since, I mean, even in, in war, gabion baskets is basically a basket with with rock, typically uh, steel or, or metal type of uh, material that, that you fill with, with rocks to basically right. create like a wall or, or that, that is a, a, block, a, a, a blockade. Yeah, and they whatever.
1: generally use galvanized steel, something yeah. that's kind of lined, uh, that way we don't get rusting or something. Uh, that may degrade water quality off of those uh, type of baskets. So,
0: yeah, man, these are great questions. Yeah, I remember the first time I ever noticed a Gabion basket. I was down at Sardis. They've got a bunch of Gabion baskets down there. And um, it was it was neat to me the way that, that those are built. And they're not difficult to build, but I don't know what requirements you have to meet in terms of Gabion baskets or well, whatever.
1: You know, we're going to look at it the same way as riprap. Yeah. Um, you know, how, mu- how many cubic yards of fuel you're going to put in this waterway. And, um, you know, we're going to look at if there have alternatives. You know, we're, we're going to look at wh- what they are doing in that waterway to ensure that, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's going to be the most uh, minimal impact to that jurisdictional water.
0: What if they dig a hole about a foot from the shore and, and, and put the gabion baskets in there? Yeah, well, I mean, Does we're going to still look at that. <laughs> that still under, comes into yeah. It's we're going to still look at cause it. Because you're not putting fill in the water then, right?
1: <laughs> well, you know, um, but you, you could be expanding the
0: water. Oh, uh, you could be expanding yeah. the shoreline. Right, or the, that's correct. Or the, okay. And so we we want to look at that. And then you've also got to worry about the potential for the dirt you've just dug up or whatever the material you've dug up going into the... The riverbed, as right. Well, right? That is correct. So that's that is fill. Correct. That's fill. <laughs> it's a form of fill, right? So basically, the answer is always check with the Corps before doing any any bank stabilization of an of a of a, of a water of the United States.
1: Yeah, I would say contact the Corps if you're going to plan on doing any work or any activity in any of uh, any of the waterways, uh, and including west and including wetlands. And and I tell you I always say jurisdictional wetlands. Every wetland is not jurisdictional. However, but you can still come
0: to us and we'll let you know if that wetland is jurisdictional. Right. Uh and uh that's one of those uh prevention is better than 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 the cure. <laughs> yeah, that is
1: so true. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, they ask uh do the work and ask for permission. Uh, does not work in our
0: particular case yeah, you're saying begging forgiveness does not work right, right? that is yeah. correct that could be very expensive right
1: very expensive right
0: well uh, have we missed out on anything is there anything we need to touch on you know uh, again we have a whole
1: host of regulators in our office and we're we're broken up into two units and my area my area of concern was going to be all the way from Texas County, Kansas, I mean, Texarkana, Texas, all the way across the central plains of Oklahoma City into the northern panhandle and Amarillo, Texas. Mm -hmm. My counterpart, Ed Perisoto, if you start down by um, Wichita Falls, Texas, and go over to Texoma Lake, and then far eastern Oklahoma, uh, that's going to be our other unit. And so those are the two large areas, including our Civil Works projects in Kansas, that we, uh, that our area in regulatory is broken down into. However, if you just dial 918-669-7400, any of our regulators can help you uh, at least get you to the right
0: regulator or answer your general questions. Right. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you taking the time to come out and sit down and, and talk to me. I know, I know you have a, a, a many regulators who you are supervising and and making sure that they're they're doing the right thing. Uh, and if say someone wants to look at the public notices you guys are putting out, or they have questions about permit stuff and and they want to know more, how can they find out about? Well,
1: it? I, I would I, I would just say please dial 918 669 nine one eight six six nine seven four zero please dial 918-669-7400 and we will get someone assigned to you and address any questions or concerns that you have. All right. Man, this was fun. Hey,
0: I always enjoy it.
1: Man, I I, I just had a question for you. Yeah. Have I have I answered all of your questions well, that you might have a you might have another don't question. You have
0: some stuff up on the website that you guys put out there. Yeah,
1: everything a lot of stuff that we do is on our website. Uh, including like what's going on in our program, and that website is uh, long, however, but it is www.swt.usace.army.mil for slash regulatory. They'll get you anything you need to know about our program, what authorizations we have available, uh, mitigation. You know what's the definition of placement of field. Uh, anything that you want to know about our program, Section 10 is out there on our website. But if you call 918-669-7400, any regulator can help you.
0: Outstanding. Hey, thanks again, Mike, for for showing up and, and being here to answer people's questions about the regulatory program here in the Tulsa District. Thank you for joining us for Core Struction. Core is a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. This episode was brought to you by the Tulsa District Regulatory Office. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.
1: Uh, including, like, what's going on in our program. And that website is uh, long, however, but it is www.swt.usace.army.mil forward slash regulatory. They'll get you anything you need to know about our program, what authorizations we have available, uh, mitigation, you know, what's the definition of placement of field. Uh, Anything that you want to know about our program, Section 10 is out there on our website. But if you call 918-669-7400, any regulator can help you.
0: Outstanding. Hey, thanks again, Mike, for for showing up and, and being here to answer people's questions about the regulatory program here in the Tulsa District. Thank you for joining us for Core Corpsstruction. Corpsstruction is a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. This episode was brought to you by the Tulsa District Regulatory Office. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.